Okay, if you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church. I'm going to be speaking to you uh, this evening from that parable that Ruth just read. But before we get into that, I hope you guys are doing well with second lockdown. We um, here, my family, we've recently moved. <clears throat> so we're in a new house at the moment. Um, we're busy unpacking, going through things. Uh, yesterday or the day before, we unpacked four boxes, uh, but they all contained books. They were four boxes of books, and we thought we'd done very well until I went upstairs to my study and found 22 more boxes, all full of books, um, that also need to be unpacked. So we're going to be working our way through that. The reason we have so many books is we love books in this house. We love reading. I like reading. Manly likes reading. We like reading with the kids and getting books into their hands. We think books are great for your mental health and your brain development, and they are an investment in your future because of what you learn from them and can put into practice. And most of the books we have in the house are books about Christian books, about God and theology and doctrine and prayer and a whole bunch of other things. And because I think they're so good, I'm going to uh, recommend a couple more to you um, today. The first one is uh, You'll Get Through This by Max Licardo. You'll Get Through This by Max Licardo. It's um, titled Hope and Help for Your Turbulent Times. And this isn't a particularly new book, but I saw the title and thought that might be appropriate for what we're going through now. Uh, Max Licardo is an American author. He's written a whole bunch of books. I've read a number of his over the years. And I want to say this one was excellent. It's a study of the life of Joseph. We preached through Joseph a couple of years back as a church. Um, it's a fascinating story about how God uses horrible circumstances for his glory and our good. And this was a fantastic study of that. So if you're looking for something, particularly now, second lockdown, where are things going, all that sort of stuff, questions, you'll get through this is a great uh, book to read. Um, the second one is called Pray Big by Alistair Begg. I read this a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, Alistair Begg is a Scotsman who's now based in the United States. And he's written um, a book on prayer based on some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we started this year in prayer, looking actively at the Lord's Prayer. And as we round out 2020, having gone the way no one expected, I think prayer is where we should be again. And this is a fantastic little bit. It's a little bit, it's only about 100 pages, but excellent advice on prayer using some examples of the Apostle Paul of how we all can pray really easily. So there's two books there. Uh, you'll get through this by Max Ricardo, Pray Big by Alistair Begg. If you want a copy, I've got a couple to give away. Put your name in the uh, chat and we will get these uh, to you then. So what we're going to do today is part nine, I think, of our series uh, on the stories Jesus told. We're looking at some of his parables and we've seen that parables are little stories with big ideas. We did three weeks on the parables of the kingdom from Matthew 13 then we had four weeks looking at parables particularly dealing with salvation and then last week I looked at the first of four parables where we look about being wise and last week we looked about being prepared for Jesus return because it's coming and today we're going to look another one about wisdom and making wise choices so the big idea of what we're going to look at today is simply this that we should be wise in investing in our future and not getting focused on this life. We need to be wise about investing in our future and not getting focused on this life. And so the story that Ruth read to us is Jesus talking to his disciples. It immediately comes after chapter 15. Now chapter 15 was the parable of the lost sheep, uh, the coin and the sun, which Andy Martin did a few weeks back brilliantly. This follows on from that and that Jesus was particularly talking to the religious leaders. Here he's just talking to his disciples and the whole chapter, if you scan through chapter 16, is dealing with the whole area of uh, wealth, money and possessions. And Jesus starts out this chapter talking to his disciples about 
um, this whole area of wealth, money and possessions. And this is actually considered one of the trickiest parables to sort of get your head around because it's just not straightforward kind of in its content and what it's talking about. So we're going to go through it, try and unpick it. Uh, and see what it is. It's not an allegorical parable, so it's not obvious to, to point to certain characters and say, well, that character's God and that character's us or anything like that. It's just a simple uh, example drawn from life, and it's been applied to spiritual matters. So Jesus begins and he says, there was a rich man who had a manager. Now, this wasn't uncommon. A rich landowner who'd have been extremely wealthy um, and so wealthy that he would have got somebody else to manage his wealth, manage his property and possessions. And that would have been a manager or a steward. And so you have the rich man and you have a manager, but it's not going well because it says charges were brought against this manager, this steward, because he was wasting his master's possession. Now, the manager was guilty of abusing his position of authority and wasting his master's money. And this is the same phrase that Luke had used just in the previous chapter, a few verses before in the parable of the prodigal son, where it says the prodigal son took the inheritance from his father, went off to a foreign land and basically wasted it all. So this is not a good thing. The manager is basically being caught out. He's been doing stuff with his master's money, He's thinking it's like his own, but it's not and charges have been brought against him. And it says the rich man called him and said to him, what's this I've heard about you? Turn in account of your management for you're no longer going to be manager. So there's basically the, the rich man saying there's an audit coming. There's an audit coming and I'm going to find out what you've been doing. And your kind of your crimes, your guilt is going to be exposed from everything and you're no longer going to be managing my property. And this was a massive deal for the steward. He's like, he's going to use his, he's going to lose his income. He's going to lose here, the roof over his head. He's going to lose his social status, everything that um, he would value as important to kind of help him do life is going to be taken from him. And then you get to verse three and Jesus narrates what this uh, man would have been thinking. He, he's saying to himself, what shall I do because my master is going to take away this management from me? I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So he's saying, if I get kicked out this job and I lose this job and I'll be black marked because the rich man will tell people I won't be able to get another job like this. My options are to be a day laborer. And we met the day laborers in the parable of the workers of the vineyard that Melanie spoke about. And they're kind of real bottom of the social rung. They just hope for work each day and have to go out the marketplace and find this. Or even lower than that, there are those who just beg. Just go out and say, please give me something. I have nothing. And he's got those two options. And he's like, I don't want to do either of them. So he's at a crisis point. So what do I do with what's happening? I know I'm guilty. I'm not going to get fired. I know this is all going to come upon me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a day laborer. I don't want to beg. What shall I do about it? And he says, I just, he comes up with an idea. So I've decided what I'm doing. I'm not going to do option one, day laborer. I'm not going to do option two, beggar. I've got a third option. And he summons, it says he summons the debtors of his master so his master would have had people who owed him money because he's very wealthy lending money and he kind of is also in the agricultural trade and the, the steward brings them in and says okay uh tell me how much you owe my master tell me how much you owe and they tell him and he says well let's reduce your bill and so you owe him less so he's basically taking the amount they owe him and he is taking a chunk off and reducing his debt. So this man has been already accused of wasting his master's possessions and he's doing it again. He's wasting even more. He is 
fiddling his master out of even more money. And the amounts it gives there, um, they're kind of given in the passage in sort of um, old measures. If you translate them into ones we know, uh, the, the oil was about 850 gallons and um, the, the wheat was something like 40,000 litres. So these are massive amounts of money that the steward is saying, you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay my master. I've reduced your bill. And as he was still the manager, as he was still in charge, he hadn't been fired yet. This was all legally binding for him. And it says the reason he's done is, is the hope they will receive me into their house, it says in verse four. And that word receive can also be translated welcome. So he's thinking, if I let these guys off a lot of money, my hope is they will look favorably on me when I am barred from my job by my master because he's going to work out what he's done. So he's basically trying to curry favor and get these guys to owe him uh, what uh, owe him a favor after he's been fired. So he's been wasting his money, uh, master's money in verse one. A few verses later, he's wasting even more. And then we get to verse eight. And here we've got verses eight and nine are kind of the key to the parable, the key part of Jesus told a story up to now. And beginning of verse eight is the twist in the story, the bit that the hearers wouldn't be expecting. They wouldn't see uh, this coming. And I don't know if you're a film fan, but I love films with twists in. I love it when you're kind of watching the film and you think it's going one way and it suddenly turns on the other way. I still remember the first time I watched Charlton Heston kneeling in the surf saying, damn you all to hell. It was absolutely astounding. I remember hearing James L. Jones say, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. I am your father. I'm going, <gasps> as a small child. Even I remember being in the cinema as a teenager and hearing someone say, who is Kaiser Soze? And these twists come and you're like, they're just amazing. Gold star for anyone if they know all three films and put it in the chat, just saying. But anyway, the twist of the story is this. What does Jesus say? He says, the master commended the dishonest manager. He commended. That word commended, some Bibles translate it praise. Um, give honour to, give glory to. So we've got this manager who has accused of wasting his master's possessions, so not good. He then diddles his master out even more money, a large amount of money, and the master praises him. Now, let's be clear about this. He is still a dishonest manager because Jesus says in two words later, he's still dishonest. It's not morally good, but he says he commends him. But what for? He commends him for his shrewdness. That can be prudence, um, savvy, canny in business affairs. This is definitely not a moral quality, but he is shrewd in how he's dealing with it. And he is commended for it. He knows, the manager, that there is a judgment coming. He knows that he is going to be found out. He knows that um, the game is up for him and what he is facing is really, really tough. And in the face of that, he acts shrewdly to take care of his future. He acts um, not with moral goodness, but he acts smartly. He acts canny. He sees the way the world works and he says, I'm going to use that to my advantage. So when I am fired from my job for not doing it properly, gross misconduct, there are people who will look after me in um, my future. And he is, and the master sees that and says, you have acted well in light of that. And so that's the twist in the story. Then we get to the end of verse 
uh, eight, and it says he uses that word for Jesus says for. So this is Jesus' observation on it. He's saying there's a the master commends him because he was shrewd. Uh, facing what he was going to face and it says he says this strange um, line it says for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light so this is Jesus observation on the story the sons of this world are more shrewd and dealing with their own generation than the sons of life what's Jesus saying there we're well, saying this he's he's doing what he's done in many parables is that he splits people into two groups what are the two groups the first one is the sons of this world and, what, and he compares that with the sons of light. The sons of this world are people who um, are characterized by this world, who are dishonest, wicked. They are not followers of God. They do not honor God in any way. And so that would be the sons of this world. And with that, then on the side, he has the sons of light. The sons of light would be the people who are part of God's kingdom. We looked at that in the first three um, uh, parables that we looked at but they are sons of kingdoms they are followers of God they love God they love Jesus uh, they want to serve him and so there you've got your two groups and he's basically saying the people the sons of this world have a better understanding of how the world works they are smarter in seeing how the world works and using it uh, this world is characterized by faithlessness and wickedness and Jesus is saying that the manager was described as dishonest but yet he knew how the world worked. He knew how the system worked. And in that time, in that culture, the Greco-Roman culture, um, one of the ways that it worked was friends was very important. And you bought and kept friends with your wealth. And if you had friends who had more wealth than you, they were greater friends. And if you had friends with less wealth than you, they were, they were lesser friends. But money was used to create and maintain and solidify relationships, whether that's through business finance, commerce, all those things. And the manager used the wealth at his disposal to create these relationships that would then repay him at a later date. And so Jesus is saying that the sons of this world are smarter. They, they, they get it and then they use it for their advantage. And then he says at the end, he gives them a command. So he says there's been the twist, there's the observation, and then it comes a command. He says this, and I tell you, he's talking to his disciples, his followers, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So what's going on here? Jesus is saying that we are to make friends is what he's talking about. Um, and he's saying he uses the word uh, unrighteous wealth or some translations say dishonest wealth. And what he's talking about there is basically the money, the possessions of this world, because this world's been described as kind of a dishonest manager. Um, and he's just saying what we have in this world, this fallen, broken world will not carry over into the next. Everything you have here now is not going to carry forward into eternity. It will ultimately fail, he says. He says, so while you're here and while you've got it, he says, use it use it well for his kingdom because he uses that word eternal dwellings that's talking about the future we looked at last week that jesus is coming back we looked at the parable of kingdoms where god's kingdom will rule and reign and ultimately grow and grow and then be completely consummated and he will rule and reign completely forever and he's saying there is eternal kingdom coming there are eternal dwellings coming and you are to use what you have in this world to prepare for that the manager in the story acted with naked self-interest he used what he had at his disposal to secure his future. Now, his future was only an earthly future, so it's not going to last very long. But he still acted shrewdly and smartly in light of that to prepare him for his future. And he Jesus is saying the people of God need to act like that in preparing for their eternal future. 
we're not to be dishonest in business and waste people's money or anything like that. That's definitely not what he's saying. But he's saying that you should be smart like that. You should be shrewd like that. You should you should take what you've got now, what you possess now that you can't take with you. But you should use it well now so that when you get to the future, you've got a a, um, a harvest, an investment that you've made now, just like the manager. So what can we learn from this rather strange story that Jesus has told us? Well, there's three things I want us to look at what we can learn, then a couple of things we can do um, out the back of that. The first thing that we can learn from this um, story is that everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. The character in the story was a manager or a steward. He was responsible for his master's wealth, but none of it was his. None of it belonged to him. He was accountable to someone else for everything that was under his care. Everything he had, everything he did, all those business transactions were on the behalf of someone else. And that is the same for us. That is the same for us. Everything we have in this world ultimately belongs to God. It is on loan to us. We are to manage it. We are to steward it. We are to look after it, to use it wisely, use it well. And this covers everything from money we get. Maybe you get uh, an income from a job or money you've been given. This includes that every single possession you have. This includes your job or career that God has given you, any academic achievement that you may have achieved, anything you've put hard work into achieve. God gave you the brains and ability to achieve that, any life opportunity that you have received received your family your marriage your children your grandchildren your friendships your holidays your homes your cars your pensions everything that we have ultimately belongs to God it is not ours we are merely stewards I am reminded of this constantly because my name is Stuart and the root meaning of that name is to be a steward a keeper of precious things they they do not belong to me everything I have in my life ultimately belongs to someone else And so when we look at all that we have, even just in the homes you're sitting in, just look around the device that you're using to interact with this meeting right now. Everything we have does not belong to us. And so as a result of that, we should be thankful. We should be thankful for everything we have. We should live a life of thankfulness to God for all his provisions, all the goodness he gives us. And we should also think carefully uh, about what we have and what we use it for. We should be aware of that. We should be the opposite of the steward who was guilty of wasting his master's possessions. We should be mindful of what they are and how we use them. So that was number one that we can learn. Everything we have belongs to God. The second thing that we can learn from me is what, uh, sorry, we use what we have for the good of others. We are to use what we have for the good of others. Now, this can cover everything in life, but the focus of the story, the was particularly kind of the area of money and possessions. It's coming out in chapter 16 uh, as we read through Luke at that time. Um, and so what we have is to be used for the good of others. We are to use the resources God has given, out, given us to impact others around us. So this is really the opposite of what the manager was doing in the story. Uh, he was using it for his own self-interest and was wasting his master's possessions because Jesus talks about being received into eternal dwellings. And he's basically saying that your resources, everything that you have should have an impact on eternity. 
You should use it to impact eternity. That should be your goal, your focus. Jesus said to the rich young ruler um, in Matthew 19, he says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And he said, come, follow me. Later in Matthew 25, he says, Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, so you did it to me. And so there is an impact there on what we use our resources for to serve, particularly those in the church. And that last time Jesus said the brothers, reference to other believers, but also in wider society will have impact on eternity. And so this comes back to that first point. We are stewards. It doesn't all belong to us. And the money and the resources and the position we have are not ours, but they are used to serve God and to serve others in how we do it. We are to be generous with God's people, those around us, part of our church and the brothers and sisters around the world and the poor. Um, and we are to then result will be welcomed in eternity. We can use our resources to actually impact other people's life that we will only learn about when we get to the end and we see the result of what we've done. So that was number two. Number three, we are to live with our lives fixed on eternity. We are to live with our lives fixed on eternity. Jesus makes this phrase in verse nine. He says, when it fails, the reference to money, and possessions. Ultimately, everything we have, everything possessed in this life will ultimately end. It will come to nothing. The money we have will be spent or will be left in high, behind for someone else to spend. The possessions that we have will ultimately just wear out, rust and end up in a recycling scrapyard landfill. That's what's going to happen. The newest, greatest thing you bought or covered, that's where it's going to end up sooner or later. There will come a point when there'll be that ultimate separation of death and we cannot take anything with us. And so we are to live our lives beyond this life, looking at eternity. And what we can do now is invest in our future. We can take things that we have now and invest in the future. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he says, do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where there's no thieves to break in and steal because where your treasure is there, your heart is. We are to live with an eternal mindset that this world is short and temporary and we should be planning and investing in our eternal future we should all do this with the shrewdness of the steward we should be so focused on actually what's going to come and we are preparing for that and not getting bogged down in what the here and now that we are using our shrewdness to prepare for it not in a dishonest way like he did, but actually in a godly way, listening to what Jesus asked us to do and investing in the future. So we have eternal dwellings ready for us and eternal rewards ready for us when we get there, because eternal rewards will never fail and they will never wear out. We said that rust will destroy, no one can take them from us, but we can work now and prepare ourselves for them. So what can we do out of this? Two things to finish and then I'll close up. Try one and first thing, I just want to ask you a question. Are you getting ready for your future? Are you investing 
in your future because there is a reckoning coming with the master and he is going to examine our accounts. He will determine whether we've been wasteful with the resources he's given us or that we have done well with the resources he's given us. 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul talks about our works being tested by fire and actually only what is good uh, being left over and this time that we've kind of wasted time money will just be burnt up and come to nothing. So a couple of suggestions for you. If you're not a believer here, if you're not a Christian, this is the first one. You need to become a Christian. If you are an unbeliever, non-Christian, not going to church, you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus because you don't know when that your time's going to be up. Jesus is coming back or you're going to die. One of those things is going to happen. If you haven't done that, you haven't done anything to invest in your future. You will face the master. He will call you to account and you will be found guilty. The good news for us is Jesus has come. He died. He rose again. He was the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. His kingdom is come. It will continue to come. And he's asked and offered all of us to come and join. We are to turn away from living our own way of life, being Lord of our life, being in charge of our life, and recognize him as the one true king who reigns over everything. Put our faith and trust in him and follow him. And then we are to daily make that commitment to follow him and go after him all the days of our life. So if you're not a believer, you need to do that. You need to put your faith and trust in him. What about if you are a Christian? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to review your internal investment plan. To review your internal investment plan. How are you stewarding God's resources now in light of eternity? The danger for us, the danger for all of us, is that we will love the gift more than we love the giver. We will love the gift more than we love the giver. And God gives us many, many gifts that we can spend, we can enjoy from homes and possessions and holidays and cars and, and so many great things uh, that we can enjoy. But where our treasure is, there our heart is. And the question is, are you enjoying the gift more than the giver? Because everything we have ultimately comes for him. What does this look like? In practicality, well, some of the basic things we can do. The first one is regular giving. At the most basic level, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are to regularly contribute to God's work in this world. We are to give of our finances. For most of us, back then, their finances were being represented through livestock or produce from crops. For us, it's basically an income. We get a wage, most of us. That's what it is. And that's our basic income. And from that, we are to give. And this is a basic practice for any believer that we are to give financially to the work of the local church, wherever we find ourselves. Um, and that can change over time. People move from area to area, from church to church. But you all as believers, we should part, be part of a local church as much as we can. And then with that, we are to give well to the life of that local church. I'm aware some of you will have unbelieving spouses and money should never become an issue for them. Um, so you have to work that out between you. But if you are a believer, you're a believing spouse or you're a single unbeliever, you should be giving financially to the work of your local church. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus and go far and wide as many people as possible get to hear it. How do we do this or what do you do? First thing, 10% is a good place to start. The Old Testament talks about tithes, which is just a tenth of what it is. That's where you should start. That's the good place to start. And most people give regularly by standing order just because that works that easy. This is not a negotiable 
for if you're a follower of Jesus, it's like baptism. Jesus says, believe, get baptized. There's plenty of exhortations throughout the New Testament about giving and being generous with what we have. Some people make excuses, say, well, when, I, when I've got more, I'll give more. Uh, that is rubbish. Uh, because giving is an issue of character not circumstances and studies show again and again those with less give more um, when we have more we actually give less um, studies tell us uh, we did a sermon series particularly on this a couple of years back called what's in your wallet if you want to go back what we kind of talked about as a church and review that you can look at that that's online we are to give joyfully uh, and cheerfully to the work um, of God doesn't mean we need to work out our tenth to the nearest penny and if you're doing that you're probably missing the point um, and for most of us who earn well, well above the average wage, last time we looked up the average wage, it was about 26 to 28,000 pounds ish um, for this country. If you are earning well above that, and most of us are, that actually 10% still is not enough. You should be giving more sacrificially to the work of goodness because God has blessed you with more. And the more we've been given, the more will be demanded from us. And yes, this does mean adjusting your lifestyle. Yes, it does mean that it might mean smaller house, yes, holidays, older car, less toys and trinkets in your life, but you are investing in eternal dwellings. I make a point of this as part of my kind of pastoring years of church. I tell you how much I earn um, every year. I tell you how much I give. This year as a family, we're looking around, giving about 12% of our income straight out um, to what happens here at Real Life Church. Um, as a church, as a whole, I have to tell you, we give a minimum of 10% away of what everything we get in. It goes to the network of churches. We're a part of Catalyst uh, Network where we serve um, apostolic mission all over the world, serve the needs of the poor, church planting, all those things. We do that. On top of that, we are to give generously as we feel God leads us. Um, on top of our kind of regular giving, we have to seek opportunities to serve those in need, particularly the household of faith, those in the church. And that can be financial gifts, that can be um, helping people out with meals, all those things that just come about. Um, as a church, we give well over and above our 10% to serve others. We serve Live Village. Uh, down in South Africa, we serve our local food bank. We serve Andy and Heather Martin um, out in Egypt, uh, Birmingham 2020, which is a church planting initiative in the city we give to. Uh, we've done food shops for people we know who will, uh, are in need. This we feel will increase um, as the days go on in the current situation we are part of. And so we need to be believers. We need to be investing in eternal dwellings with our money. And our example for this isn't just because I'm standing here telling you actually our example of this, the big picture of this is actually the God we serve who has given everything for us. Jesus was enthroned in heaven in perfection and glory with the Father and the Spirit, yet he gave up that glory, that position to come to earth and live as a man. God the Son came and put on skin and walked among us and he was born into a poor rural area in a backwater nation of one of the most powerful nations and empires that have ever existed and ultimately he laid down his life so that we might become part of his family god then raised him up to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that christ is the lord and we are to see these teachings of jesus in that context and we are to be shrewd about how we invest in our future we are to like that dishonest manager let nothing stand in our way in preparing us for what we know is to come and so what i'm going to do now is i'm just going to end and lead you kind of in a time of prayer and let um 
the Holy Spirit speak to you and convict you on that. So maybe you want to just close your eyes. Maybe you want to just open your hands and let God sort of just speak to you and say, hey, what's going on in your heart um, at this time? Because there are some amongst us who God wants to commend for all that you've done. Some of you give faithfully to God's work, whether it's this local church or another one, you faithfully serve people and you give of the resources that you've um, been given and you use it to bless others and speak of God's love and grace and mercy. And God wants to commend you for that and say, I see that. I know what you do. Others don't, but I do. I see your bank account. I see every line. I know where every penny goes. And I feel a present sense of God saying, well done in that. Well done for all that you have done to serve um, my people, to serve the people kind of outside the church and just show them my love and my mercy. And you need to receive that commendation of the Lord. There are some of you who need to repent, who need to actually change your attitude. You have, may have given begrudgingly and kind of resented it every month when the, you see the money go out or maybe you haven't given at all and just thought I'm not going to do that it's mine and I pray today by the power of the spirit that, that your mind has been changed by God's grace in that area it's not yours it's his and he gets he lets you steward it for his glory what are you going to do um, about that and if that is you and you know that's you, I just want you to just take that this moment and talk to the Lord about it. Get yourself right with him. There are some of us who need not, who need not to settle where we are. I think we might have got this lit, but actually God is always calling us on, calling us deeper. It's all of us who need to have eyes open to see the needs around us and know that if we've got resources to meet, and it doesn't have to be big, but if we've got a way of meeting and serving people, those in the church, those we know, the household of faith, those outside who we know that think actually this will be a manifestation of God's love and grace and mercy if I serve you and give you to you. We need to be have eyes and hearts open for what God might be leading us into. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to finish and I'll hand back to Ben. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this story you told us. Well, I want to thank you for your command for us to be wise about how we invest for the future, what we do with the resources you've given us. I want to thank you kind of for a wake-up call and say, actually, what I've given you, you are to be using for my glory and the good of others. Lord, we thank you uh, that there is an account coming, Lord, but we have been forewarned about that. We've been forewarned, Lord, and I pray, God, for all the generosity you've poured out on us in giving us your son, giving us your spirit, but also the financial and material rewards that we have between us as a church. Lord, I pray you would make us faithful with them. I pray you would make us wise in how we use them. I pray you'd make us shrewd in how we invest them for the future, for your kingdom. And I pray, God, through our giving, when we get to the end, when we get to eternity, there will be many who say, because you gave, I knew Jesus. Because you gave, I got an opportunity to hear the gospel preached. Because you gave, a church was planted in my area. Because you gave, I got to feed my family. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would not let your blessing terminate on us.
as a people, but it would go out from us to this town, this city, this nation, the nations of the world for your glory, Lord, that more and more people will come and know you for themselves. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. And I'm going to hand back to Ben.